0: The U.S. Department of Homeland Security is responsible for defending our country at its borders and throughout the interior. To do this, the Department of Homeland Security has over 240,000 employees, with more than 140,000 of them in law enforcement positions. That's more than any federal law enforcement agency in the executive department. DHS was established in the aftermath of the devastating and disturbing September 11th attacks that sent shockwaves through every American. We witnessed true sacrifice, heroism, and a united resolve against evil in the months and years that followed. Today, we're joined by Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, the seventh person to head this department and a man that the Fraternal law Police has worked closely with over the years. He is familiar with the challenges facing law enforcement at all levels in government. And prior to his time with Department of Homeland Security, he served as a prosecutor in California. I'm Patrick Hills, National President of the Fraternal Law Police, and this is The Blue View. Well, Mr. Secretary, thank you for joining us uh, for our podcast. It's an honor to have you here today. You've been a uh, working relationship with your department has been great, and we appreciate the feedback and interaction uh, that we've had, and, and 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 allowing us to be part of uh of of some some real big challenges facing our country. Uh, before we get into to our discussion, do not you tell our uh, audience a little bit about yourself, a little bit of your background?
1: Well, President Yells, it's my honor to be uh, on this podcast and be able to speak to uh, your members. Very honored to do so. You know, um, uh, I was born in Havana, Cuba. My parents uh, fled uh, the communist takeover of that country. They didn't want to raise their daughter and their son, uh, my older sister and I, uh, in a communist regime. And so they were able to come to the United States. And uh, I grew up in a devoutly patriotic home and uh, that is what led me uh, to join the federal government uh, on September 25th, 1989, at the first possible chance I could get to become a federal prosecutor. I was a federal prosecutor for 12 years, an assistant United States attorney, and then the United States attorney. And um, uh, the proudest moments uh, of my career have been when I've been able to stand up in a federal courtroom and say Alejandro Mayorkas on behalf of the United States of America, and vindicate the work of the law enforcement on the street and uh, prove um, our defendants guilty of the crimes for which they were charged.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I need to, uh, at, at, if, if I could, uh, and I know I spoke to you about this before. Um, you know, law enforcement has gone through a lot over the last two years. We've sort of been transition. It, it's our job to improve the criminal justice system. And and sometimes that process is, is not easy. Uh, and we've certainly been, been part of that. And there've been a lot of, uh, I guess attacks on law enforcement. Well, one thing that, I, that 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 stood out, and I, I got to have to thank you for it. Uh, in October, after COVID restrictions lifted, we were finally able to have our memorial service, and uh, we honored the the the, the over nearly five hundred fallen law enforcement officers at that service. It was a really long service. It was on the lawn of the Capitol, and uh, it started raining during that event. And uh, and you know, as people would do, they normally get out of the rain. Uh, but it was a solemn event. It was to honor our fallen. And I have to, uh, I have to recognize that, uh, that you sat there, uh, in honor of those officers through the rain and left something that most people didn't do. And I'd like to just show a picture uh, if I could of, uh, of you doing just that. So I want to thank you for your honor, uh, to law enforcement. It met a lot to our members and it's not something that went unnoticed. Uh, you know, sometimes it's the things that, uh, that, uh, people don't you know you don't call attention to that really tell your character so I want to thank you for uh for for that honor of our fallen.
1: what where well, does that what does that come from well President Yoes, um you know quite frankly um families were out in the rain uh to remember uh and pay tribute uh to their lost loved ones who um died in the line of duty and um I'm sitting here today able to participate in this uh podcast with you because of because of them and their sacrifices and so um uh, uh rain is not going to uh, keep me away
0: well i tell you, i can tell you that our members were quite
1: impressed and uh they
0: really uh it really touched a lot of people that you stood there most people left and i'm not taking you know i'm not discrediting anyone else that went there they all to show honor but uh you went that extra step and i want to thank you
1: for that oh, so. well thank you you know my um you you've heard me tell this story before yeah um you know, when I was a kid, my, uh, my parents had me tumble out of our car, um, and uh, whenever we saw a law enforcement officer with a badge on the street at the street corner or a stoplight or what have you, I was um, uh, ordered to get out of the car and uh, approach the law enforcement officer and shake his or her hand and say thank you, because, you know, uh, my parents uh, didn't grow up in countries where law enforcement protected them as they do here in the United States. And so, you know what I, I say to law enforcement at a time when we're, um, we're under attack is we're the f- largest federal law enforcement agency. Um, resolve is a really important human quality. Uh, we, we believe in what we do, we're proud of what we do. We know why we signed up uh, to do good for our country. And so we march forward. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And, uh,
0: you know, that's a, it's an interesting story. Uh, and one that I've heard you tell many times and boy, only if we had more parents like that in America and yeah. uh, instill those principles in, in, in their, their children at a, at an early age, uh, positive, positive qualities. Uh, Mr. Secretary, I'd, I'd like to, to, to talk about a few topics, but I'd like to start there's, if you look across the country, we will see rising crime. Uh, it, it's, it's really, uh, in some cities it's, 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 you know, it's, a, a major crisis uh and in you know trying to trying to combat that is not an easy process most law enforcement in this country uh the vast majority is uh is local law enforcement that are uh that have a you know kind of the boots on the ground uh yeah. and your agency also has that responsibility to to deal with uh these same issues and uh, our our interaction with the Department of Homeland Security, local law enforcement, uh, through grant funding, through task force, all of these things are, are, are vitally important. You know, we've been signaling uh, our concerns about the rising crime for quite some time now. Can talk a, about uh, your perspective on the rising crime and how partnership with uh, Department of Homeland Security, various, various uh, agencies within Homeland Security, how this interaction is, is helpful for us to, to combat?
1: You know, um, uh, uh, president Yoe's, you know, our role is, uh, to equip and resource, uh, local law enforcement around this country through our grant programs. Um, I, I am very concerned, uh, about the funding streams for, for law enforcement. Uh, we ourselves, uh, despite we have, you know, we have a big, big budget, but we also have very big expenses. Uh, we need to be, uh, resourced and local law enforcement needs to be resourced. Uh, to match the uh, level of crime that uh, we're all encountering, uh, you know, there there are also a number of other uh, factors at play, other than you know I think under resourcing. You know, we have a tough time recruiting uh, personnel uh, uh, because law enforcement is uh, under attack. Um, but also, you know, I I see um, I see people uh, in the criminal justice system making bail uh, that uh, uh, wouldn't have had a chance. Um, between 1989 and 2001 when i was a prosecutor you know um an individual uh, who commits a crime with a firearm uh, that's a tough bail to make uh, back in the day and yet i you know in speaking with uh, police officers and deputy sheriffs in different parts of the country i hear about people making making bail pending trial and uh, i think that creates a danger
0: yeah, and, and look, I'll go back just three weeks ago. We lost uh, three officers in two incidents with people who were viol- violent offenders, uh, violators of a uh, violent crime, and firearms, uh, with firearms as well, only to be released on uh, that revolving door. And, and it, as a result, we had three uh, three law enforcement officers who were killed. And I'd love to say that it's just, I wish I could tell you it's just limited to us, but there are literally thousands of people who are being victimized by Ah, uh, this revolving door of the criminal justice system of people, violent offenders. We all know in law enforcement that the vast majority of crime is committed by a very small percentage of violent offenders, uh, and by taking those violent offenders off the streets, so that they can't continue to, to victimize, uh, you know, the people we serve. Well, that's 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 how we combat crime, uh, and so uh, if you look at the increase in crime, it's directly related to to you know this lack of consequences for you know those that 10% or so that is really commit, uh, creating most of the havoc in our country right now.
1: I couldn't agree more. And you know, mm-hmm. it, um, you know, the standard was pretty straightforward. I think it still is the standard. I just don't know how it's being applied, which is, you know, are there conditions or combination of conditions that can ensure the safety of the public? And if not the individual remains in custody pending trial. Absolutely.
0: And it's a tale of two cities. Look across this country. You have cities that are doing just that, and they don't, they don't have the rising crime and you have cities that are, are, are uh, yeah, quite honestly doing social experiments that are costing people their lives and yeah. uh, it's a challenge that we all have um you mentioned uh, uh grant funding and, and some of the programs that you that you have to support law enforcement can you talk about some that really stand out to
1: you that i think uh, that our our listeners would uh, would love to hear well I'll, I'll, I'll name one that comes immediately to mind because the border is such a tremendous <clears throat> challenge for us and we can talk about that more um uh, president yos but we have a stone garden um grant program uh, that uh, uh, distributes uh, $90 million uh, to local law enforcement along the border uh, to meet uh, the challenge of the border, because not only are our border patrol agents so severely taxed, but local law enforcement uh, is taxed when individuals are crossing illegally into the United States. You know, they, they need to be apprehended. Um, There are those who who evade law enforcement, Uh, they create a danger for communities, and we've got to fund law enforcement uh, so that they can um, uh, pay overtime, they can get uh, technology, they can have the funds uh, to equip their departments to address the challenge.
0: Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I talked to our members along the border and there's uh, you know, clearly a lot of frustration by the volume that's coming through some, I think it was some 2 million were detained last year alone, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, that, that volume is creating havoc, not only for, uh, those local law enforcement agencies, and, and I'm sure that grant funding is helpful, but, uh. Since you brought up the border, let's let's talk a little bit about that. It, it, it's clearly a challenge that we have of trying to manage the border and the amount of the volume that's coming through here, uh, you know, to, into the country. And I know that uh, you and I have spoken on a number of occasions, or I've heard you speak on a number of occasions, talking about the humanity of what's happening at the border, at the same time recognizing that our border security and the challenges that we have there. So, if you could just. You know, talk a little about the challenges we have, how the department is really going about uh, trying to 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 curtail this. What's the most effective and efficient way and uh, what is our path forward? Yeah.
1: So um, I will tell you the frustration of uh, the individuals, you know, with the badges on the ground and the, the holstered firearms is earned. Yeah, I, I just we need to be very clear about that in our Border Patrol agents um uh, you know their morale is down and i understand why um a couple a couple uh, points one is you know we're not alone in facing this challenge on our border if we take a look at uh, colombia for example uh they've got more than 2 million venezuelans right now uh in their in their country 2% of the population of costa rica is now nicaraguan you know the the economic conditions made worse by the pandemic and the like have really caused people to flee their homes all, all throughout the region. And what we need, what we need is other countries to share in the responsibility to manage their borders so that our border is not the first line of defense. It cannot be the first line of defense because we in the Department of Homeland Security aren't built for the number of people that we are encountering every single day which is not resource for it. So number one, um, uh, our border cannot be the first line of defense. We need other countries to the south to manage their borders as well and, and take responsibility. Uh, next uh, is we need to fix our system because I've got to tell you, when somebody comes, you know, most people now, when they come to the border in between the ports of entry, they don't try to evade law enforcement. They go right to law enforcement, to our border patrol agents, and make a claim for asylum under our laws. And that means they come into the system. And it takes six to eight years to judge their cases. And that is just too long. And so we've got to make this s- system more efficient. We have a lot more challenges. It's a lot more complex than that. But one thing that we're doing also is we are really attacking the smuggling organizations in an unprecedented way. We are disrupting them up an approach that isn't popular domestically anymore. Remember the broken windows approach where, you know, traffic citation, whatever we can do to break up the bad guys, we're gonna do it. Well, that's the approach we're taking with the smuggling organizations. And I have to tell you their cruelty is illustrated very powerfully in the tragedy that was just experienced yesterday in San Antonio, where we have now, I think we have 50 people a dying in the trailer uh, uh, of a truck uh, that were seeking to um, enter, you know, the United States illegally. But um, we have fifty people dead, some of whom are children, and um, that just exhibits the uh, cruelty of the smuggling organizations and why we need an all of government and are executing an all of government attack against them.
0: Yeah, it's a what a tragic event. Uh, it's a it, uh, without a doubt, Anthony. Yeah.
1: And it's not the first, you know. Um, uh, I think it was in two th- two thousand thirteen. Uh, there were almost thirty um, uh, found dead in a, a trailer, and the and the the heat in that trailer uh, back back a number of years ago was a, a estimated to be hundred and seventy five degrees. Yeah. And you know, it's getting hot. Yeah, it's getting hotter, and uh, the day the the uh, the journey's that much more j- dangerous. And we gotta yes. we gotta break it up.
0: No doubt. Uh, so I want to come back and, and talk about uh, about concerns of drug smuggling and all. But we we'll go back uh, and and talk a little bit about the incentives. What 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 incentives I, I, talk a little bit about the strategy of you, you know, we shouldn't be the first line of defense. Obviously there's a number of countries uh, that, uh, that this pipeline of people coming yeah. through, uh, what are our initiatives? What are we doing in order to, to, uh, um, to get other countries to recognize it, It's easy, I guess, in some ways for them to say, let me take the, let these problems pass right through and be somebody else's problems. Uh, so having that holistic approach is not always as easy as it may sound.
1: Yeah, um, so, so we've talk- got a, we've got a toolbox uh, we've got a toolbox of carrots and sticks, yeah. And uh, you know that uh, we, you know, these countries also understand increasingly that not everyone is just passing through; that quite a number may settle. Is it, the journey's dangerous, so it may settle in their respective, you know, uh, uh, countries, and so they're invested in it as well. And we had um, a great meeting with all of the countries uh, in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago. And everyone committed to addressing this uh, in a united way because it's a united challenge and a real serious one.
0: Yeah, uh, no doubt. And it's not one that we're going to be able to fix our own. As, as long as uh, as that pipeline's there, it's putting us a uh, that burden on on our, our border, yep. our border cities, and border law enforcement, border patrol, law, and, the, and local law enforcement it, too, and quality of life as well. All all yep. of these things. So uh, I appreciate that. Uh, let's go back and talk about the uh, the smuggling. That it's it's creating uh, major problems, for law enforcement much further than just a border town, uh, that, that, that flow of, uh, of drugs. Can you talk a little, maybe a little bit more in depth about, uh, some of the actions taken, uh, by, by your agency and agencies and also, uh, the partnership of local law enforcement, how we, how we can work together in order to be able to, to address this, what we see as a rise in, in flow of, uh, narcotics coming across the border.
1: So that rise uh, of President Yeo's has been years long. Uh, you know, no if, we, if we take a look at the number of opioid overdose, that overdose deaths in the United States, uh, I think it was a 60% increase in 2020 over 2019, 2019 over 2018 and so on. It's just yeah. been, you know, tragically the demand in this country is, is great and we've got to address that but in the meantime in the meantime what what the public needs to understand is the majority of the drugs that are smuggled into this country are not smuggled in in between the ports of entry but through the ports of entry through the trucks through the cars that's how you know uh, you, you you take a look at the migrants that come across most of them don't even have a suit you know a suitcase or you know they might have a backpack but we we find our interdiction of drugs have increased, and frankly, thanks to the technology that the prior administration introduced towards the end of its administration in 2020, we have new technology, we, you know, non-intrusive uh, technology that is amazing at detecting narcotics and other contraband hidden in you know compartments in trucks. And the ingenuity, the creativity of the criminals. Cannot be overstated, oh. but we're on it, <laughs> and so we we have we have brought more of that technology. We have brought laboratories to the ports of entry. We've surged resources, and we're interdicting more drugs uh, than ever before. But the drugs continue, you know, to get in. The demand is so great, um, and so much money illegally mm-hmm. is to be made that it's um, you know fundamentally we got to we got to we have to address it all we have to address the demand but we've got to address the criminals well
0: no doubt uh, no doubt that uh, you're right it is supply and demand uh, and that drives every market including the yeah. illegal markets as well so
1: and and the you you mentioned how we work with law enforcement we've got local law enforcement we've got great task force models yeah and uh, you know our um, hsi or homeland security investigations uh, personnel are, are just working with local law enforcement seamlessly and um, I'm fighting to get our HSI guys uh, more authorities.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's most with you know, with the exception of border, but certainly the border towns and in pretty much every every city in this country, uh, all of these things it touches it touches all of them, and and it's more than likely that local law enforcement is going to have the encounters uh, right. before before federal. So those task force, that uh, working cooperation is vitally important for us to have any kind of, you know. Uh, any kind, any any type of, of larger success than just uh, individual every now and then feeling good because we found something. Uh, there's a bigger network at here, so at work here. So I appreciate that. Um, go back to the border for a second. It's uh, you know, we we talk about the border and in, in in the manage of, of people coming into the country. We also see what's happening in Ukraine, uh, and the challenges there. And and uh, you know, just uh. uh it it just shows uh, the, the stability of America and the things that we do. Um, uh, it's still a, a destination that, that many uh, want to come to, and Ukraine is kind of an example. And and so we have this influx of people, not just from the border, but we also have them from coming in, and they're going to cities across this country, not just Ukraine. But uh, how do you how does your uh, how do you coordinate the, the distribution of, uh, of people, uh, coming either from the border or Ukraine into our communities? And how do we, how do we interact with local jurisdictions,
1: uh, with the knowledge that they're coming? So, um, well, you know, we saw a number of Ukrainians, uh, arrive, uh, at our border, actually at a port of entry in predominantly in San Diego, California. Um, but what we did was we built a program very quickly so that they wouldn't travel to Mexico and then try to come up through the port of entry. And now that that has ended. They're really not coming to to Mexico uh, anymore, maybe in ones and twos, but not in any any significant volume. And so we address urgencies as they arise. And obviously the war in Ukraine and the amount of uh, suffering uh, there is an urgency that we addressed. And so now we're bringing them by flights directly into the United States. Uh, uh after they've applied and they have a sponsor here so that there's some stability yeah. uh uh to their uh, arrival. We we we've been very focused on coordinating with local jurisdictions better than we have in the past. Yeah. Because we've heard from local law enforcement and others, listen, you got to let us know you know when people are arriving so we have our uh, we're, we're ready. We're ready to to accept them or address them however uh we need to. You know, it's something I think that we just have to keep in mind um you know people will travel through one country and another and another to reach the United States and there's a reason for that we 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 can't allow that but there's a reason for it and that's because they understand that this is the greatest country in the world and I was in Europe last week to to address counterterrorism um uh and a number of other homeland security issues and everyone looks to us yeah. everyone looks to us uh, so we, we have to you know the, the 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 discourse the conversations in this country are more divided than i ever remember them to be and i think we need to pause sometimes and just say you know whatever our differences are we're part of and we need to contribute to the greatest country in the world.
0: Yeah, uh, this country was founded on uh, on the ability to have those political uh,
1: political beliefs and and
0: uh, entitled to have those political beliefs. And somehow we've gotten uh, to a point now where uh, we no longer respect other people's views, and so and it, it, it's a lot of civility just just yeah. disappeared in this country. So I can certainly certainly appreciate that. But you know, even even with our challenges and, and the struggles that we have, uh, we still we're still. Uh, a great nation uh, which other people want to be part of so I certainly appreciate that. You, you brought up uh, domestic terrorism and, and how we're handling, not just domestic, but, uh, you know, just uh, counterterrorism. I'd uh, like to kind of move into that area because we see such a such an increase in 2020, 2021. We have more and more incidents of uh, of domestic terrorism that uh, that we're seeing just regularly now. It's almost, uh, it's, it's alarming just the frequency that's happening. And that is, it falls under the, the purview of a, a rather large agency, a Department of Homeland Security. So if we could kind of shift gears and let's move into that uh because i do see it as a growing concern uh, that uh that we really need to get a handle on and it's something that local law enforcement and uh department of homeland security are going to have to coordinate with in order to have any success so if we could just kind of move into to that uh to that space yeah.
1: so so um our our role in that is um, um uh, uh, we it has a number of parts first we push out information and intelligence to local law enforcement, uh, because those are you know our frontline personnel, um, uh, and so our our job is to equip the local communities to address uh, the challenge. And we do that with information, and we're doing that increasingly with more and more grant funding. And I think what we need to do is, you know, very often if if we take a look at the tragedies in Buffalo and the tragedies in Uvalde, Texas. We, we see those um, assailants um, uh, having shown signs of antisocial behavior, mental health problems before they committed those heinous acts. And the question is how do we equip family members, neighbors, faith leaders, teachers uh, um, to identify those signs and and Call someone to intervene. That's, that, that is the key. And um, well, we're developing uh, new programs to, to do that. You know, the, the See Something, Say Something program uh, that was uh, created um, in the 2010-2012 uh, 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 time uh, period really speaks of that abandoned backpack in the airport. You know, and you see that and call somebody. It doesn't really work. With respect to the, the 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 kid at school who's behaving uh, differently than than before and and showing signs of concern, we've got to be able to address that. It's very often a mental health um, uh, issue, but we've got to we've got to equip local communities to uh, to address it. And we're we're sending out information, we're providing training, uh, we're providing funding, and we're building new programs. Some some of the European countries have. Um, some very interesting programs that we're taking a, a close look at, you know, people are free to express their views, you know, however offensive we might consider them. I mean, this is, that's what we're all about. We have very strong first amendment principles, but when it's connected to violence, yeah, um, that's, that's when it's unacceptable and we step in.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, near my career, I, I at, at times I, I worked in schools at times I've worked with, uh, with, uh, students who who i guess displayed uh, some of those concerns antisocial you know just uh, alone you know, a lot of them and, and and i guess just to to bring it in perspective not every student who has these things are a school shooter That's um, right. and and the, the problem is and i think most people you know, we can look we can it's easy to look in hindsight and say there were a lot of signs uh, the reality is there's a lot of signs of students that are just struggling because yes. of society today. Uh, and and it's, it's sort of unfair to, to, to you know, say that all of them have the potential for it. It really needs to be more of an intervention of how do we address these issues long before they manifest into to something of violence. I've always felt uh, the reason, a lot of the reason we see some of this violence is, is it's, it's almost glorified. It's glorified in Hollywood, it's glorified in social media. It's, it's, it's it, in a lot of ways, social media allows people to validate their, their belief systems. And, uh, and that's anonymity. one of the greatest challenges,
1: yeah. Mr. President. Yeah. I got to tell you, uh, that these, uh, narratives, right. Uh, spread so fast now, uh, on social media, online platforms, you know, um, uh, uh people are inspired by, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the massacre in New Zealand yeah. a number of years ago. Uh, and they they learn of it uh, on social media. Um, but I think you're 100% right. Uh, intervention is key. Uh, you know, a small percentage, a small such a small percentage of people uh, with mental health uh, concerns actually, you know, commit those violent acts, but those violent acts do so much damage in our no, country. It's, no, doubt. no doubt. And, you know,
0: it, it's, and again, you know, it's, it's, uh, I guess it shows a little bit of a problem in law enforcement. Uh, these interventions aren't necessarily law enforcement functions yet. Law enforcement is the one who we we're the ones that uh, that I get stuck with, and not stuck. We, we're the ones that, that deal with the end result uh, of these things. And it's easy in hindsight to to recognize them. It does show that we have some, you know, law enforcement. Is just one aspect to a holistic approach of addressing all of these issues. And in a lot of cases, it falls at the feet of law enforcement of, of whether or not law enforcement handed properly or not. Uh, those things need to be addressed long in advance through through a number of programs. Yeah, this is our purview. Uh,
1: yeah, this has to be an all of society uh, uh, a commitment. Uh, we cannot uh, put everything on the shoulders of law enforcement, yeah, especially, it, especially now. Yeah. it happens every day. And, uh, yes, and if it it, does. there's a
0: problem, if there's a problem call the police we're going to come there and we're going to fix it. That's uh that's, that's the, that's where we are in society. And that's uh, and in many ways, that's why law enforcement is low hanging fruit of a, a lot of, uh, maybe failed promises in communities where the people are frustrated and we take the, we take the brunt of it.
1: Well, um, uh, I return to my, uh, my comment that resolve, uh, mm. is a really important human quality and uh, uh, law enforcement's an amazingly noble profession.
0: Now yeah. uh, we're starting to wrap this up, but if we are there any other programs uh, that uh, Department of Homeland Security that uh, has in has in play now that uh, that you'd like to share with us uh, on on any of the you know such a wide range of responsibilities you have? I, I often wonder how you can drive a ship going in six different directions. Uh, it's not easy uh, knowing all of the aspects that your your agency oversees. Uh, but uh, can you share with us anything that? Uh, that uh, our law enforcement members might find some find interesting of of, of uh, programs that you have in in
1: in place. Yeah, Mike, I can I can take hours for that. Uh-huh. I mean, I I will tell you Let's our take a stab at it. yeah yeah our our department is so um so enormous both in scale of mission as well as in size. We have two hundred and fifty thousand people around the world. But you know when we talk about the border and the challenge of migration, uh, uh, the Coast Guard comes immediately to mind. You know they. Interdict people at sea uh, from from Cuba, from Haiti, from uh, uh, you know the Dominican Republic, and like the, the Coast Guard and the search and rescue uh, mission, the, the maritime security. We have our cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency that addresses a cybersecurity challenge. We you know ransomware. Uh, law enforcement uh, yeah. uh, departments have been attacked by ransomware uh, around uh, the country. Uh, we have FEMA. You know, we used to say there was a fire season. There was a hurricane season. Now uh, those seasons are gone. It's a year round challenge. I was in Mayfield, Kentucky, and there was a, a tornado that just decimated the entire town, the entire town. You know, we're seeing fires sweep New Mexico, Arizona, California, Colorado. Um, so we have, we have FEMA. We have the United States Secret Service. Uh, you know, you know what they've um They've had a very impactful, um, message to my family. You know, I talked to uh, our daughters about law enforcement and my pride in having been a prosecutor and my pride in supporting the men and women in law enforcement and what it means, uh, to, uh, holster a firearm and, and pin a badge and walk out one's home, uh, understanding that one that day uh, is putting one's life on the line for others. Or others. And it's a sacrifice that the entire family makes. And, you know, my daughters have heard me over the years, but now they see, you know, U.S. Secret Service personnel outside our home protecting us in the way that I described. Uh, we're, um, we're TSA at the airport. Uh, I, I, can, I can go on and on. We have 23 agencies and offices in this department and yeah. everybody does amazing work. Yep. Including law
0: enforcement training.
1: Absolutely. We have Fletsi. Yeah.
0: yeah. So if you can uh, maybe talk a little bit about that or how that benefits local law enforcement as well.
1: So we, um, you know, we do a lot of training for local law enforcement, even though it's a federal law enforcement training center and its main campus is in Glencoe, Georgia. Uh, we provide a lot of training for local law enforcement. We're very proud to do so. And I'd love to hear from FOP members about what they, you know, if they've gone to Fletsy and, uh, you know, what they what they've thought of it and what they think we can do better.
0: Great. Uh, so, so as we wrap this up, uh, I'll, I'll give you a chance to, to you know, maybe make some some closing comments. If anything we didn't cover that you think is important for our, for our members to hear, our listeners to hear, uh, please share them with us.
1: Um, President Yose, I'd just like to thank your members, and I'd like to thank you for your leadership. And I want to thank your members for uh, helping keep our community safe. That's what uh, allows us to be the greatest country in the world.
0: Oh, great. And thank you very much for joining us. Uh, if someone wants to, if, uh, if our members would like to learn a little bit more, maybe training opportunities, grant opportunities, what's the best place for them to, uh, to go to get that information?
1: So I'd go on to dhs.gov, but uh, uh, maybe what we'll do is um, uh, uh, include in your next newsletter or some other certainly uh, uh, means, um, uh, some uh, specific resources that we can provide. We provided uh, actually uh, for the first ever, um, law enforcement resource guide about all that we do for law enforcement maybe we can um, we can help circulate that to your members
0: well secretary marcus thank you for joining us uh, and spending some time with us and sharing some uh, some information uh vitally important to our members and to our members and to our listeners thank you for joining in today uh and participating in, in in our podcast where we talk about the things that are vitally important to the men and women who suit up and show up every single day and make a difference in the communities they serve thank you
1: Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of The Blue View, hosted by Patrick Yos, National President of the Fraternal Order of Police. To catch our next episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. See you next time.